Welcome to the Equipping Podcast. My name is Nathan, and my co-host on this is Curriculum Karen. <laughs> oh gosh, that's a rough nickname. Uh, What's up, Curriculum Karen? No, no, no. Go back to my real name. No, it's Curriculum Karen. That almost has a terrible ring to it. Like, mm, it, Why it, would I call you that? Why would I call you Curriculum Karen? Uh, You know, <laughs> it is a big part of my job description. Do you write here. curriculum? You know, I try. Mm. Does that count? Maybe that's why I call you curriculum, uh, Karen. Potentially. All right. Hey, uh, on today's episode, we're going to jump in with Bruce Demarest and talk about the journey of discipleship. So we hope you enjoy our conversation. We look back through scripture and we can see a journey in the life of Abraham, in the life of David. We skip to the New Testament. We see a journey in the life of Peter. If we even zoom out, we can see a journey in the in the life of the people of Israel, God's people. And then we look to history, just like you said, books like Pilgrim's Progress, uh, and it displays a journey in the Christian life. And so this is a theme that we should be familiar with, a theme uh, that's been embedded in scripture, that's been embedded in our own lives. As you talked about that developmental model, we can see a journey. Uh, and so the Lord has given that to us uh, to to help us understand what the Christian life is. And so that's so helpful to get that yeah, overview. Yeah, for sure. And I think, I think a lot of times in circles that sometimes I'm in, I hear the Christian life uh, or discipleship to Jesus talked about more in like reductionistic type terms where people are talking about, well, you know, it's this discipleship methodology is the one that produces the thing that we're going for. Or if you just do it this way, then then you'll experience growth. And if you do it, maybe this other methodology, then you're not going to grow kind of thing. It's it, it, There seems to be more of like this formulaic type language that's going on with people where it's like, yeah, but if you just plug in this stuff into the you know computer or into the whatever then it's going to spit out mm, this mature yeah. christian and bruce what i'm hearing you say is eh. <laughs> <laughs> Wrong no now. not that um it's actually a journey of ups and downs and and like you like you talked about the spiral there and I, this is one of the things you talk about in your book seasons of the soul uh, using walter brueggemann's orientation disorientation and then reorientation about this this constant movement of the spirit to mature us and to use every single one of the seasons that you've talked about to that end. Yeah, the discipleship model. It's interesting that you say that. Just like A plus B doesn't equal discipleship. Yeah, well, I mean, that's the majority of the way that people view discipleship. Is Give us a tangible. A, like A, read your Bible a lot. Yes. B, go to your small group. C, confess your sins. Then equals spiritual maturity. Uh, and, it, yeah. and it, a lot of times the way people translate that is, hey, if I just do these things, but the thing that they miss and a lot of times what's left out, frankly, which is really sad, is the Holy Spirit, <laughs> right? I mean, it, that, really is like a, it really is like a Christian well. moralism because a lot of times in the ultimate end of the Christian life for people is not God himself. It's moral behavior. Mm. How do I fix the things that are busted up in my life? And so it, it becomes a very, um, the pragmatism of yeah. it. It becomes yeah. very utilitarian. Give me the tools that I need 
to fix myself so i can look right so that i can be a good little boy or whatever yeah i mean it really is just like a deeper like christian moralism Mm -hmm. and and what i'm seeing is actually no (laughs) scripture is chock full of people who were totally jacked up i mean abraham doesn't just lie about his wife's identity he like gives her to another dude you know like hey go over there yeah a couple (laughs) times it's like whoa man what are you doing and yet here's the man who's the father of the nation of israel you know and uh and peter i mean i was just reading about peter the other day it's just like you know he follows jesus into the the courtyard of the high priest and i mean he just told him i'm not ever gonna do this you know it reminds me of my son you know you know daddy i'll never do this again he turns around and does it you know but he's sitting there around the fire and people are hey you're from galilee you followed him no i don't know the man you know it's like hey How many of us have ever been in a spot like that where we are literally denying Mm -hmm. that we know God, that we know Jesus? Mm -hmm. And yet, here's the guy that's like one of the foundations of the building of the church. But if I read my Bible, therefore, I am mature. I'm good. (laughs) I'm great. It's like, no. I have discovered, and I think scripture teaches us quite clearly, uh, by explicit teaching and by many examples, that the Christian life is not lived according to a formula. Mm. If you do this and don't do that, you will be successful, you will be respected, um, you will be honorable, and uh, you'll be a good Christian man or Christian woman. Uh, But the spiritual life is uh, truly one of following Christ through the hardships, through the trials, through the challenges of life, with incredible blessings and yet with failures and faults and shortcomings. And uh, we progress from scripture and other spiritual disciplines, not in any kind of a straight line, but um, influenced by the word, influenced by great saints in our Christian tradition, influenced by people speaking to us out of the blue, Uh, from their world into our world, many, many forces converge on our journeys to lead us into a deeper relationship with Christ, of Mm -hmm. course, centered in Scripture and centered in in prayer. But uh, there's no straight-line formula that's going to lead us to maturity, but it's an accumulation of, of values, an accumulation of wisdom, Wisdom that's often lived out in the give and take and, and uh, hardship and seasons of life as we stay alert for those unexpected and unintended inbreaks of God into our journey so that we remain on the Christian path, guided by the Spirit, mm-hmm. straight toward our destination and the goal and the image and the model is the person of Jesus Christ himself. So let's avoid the idea of a formula and let's realize that um, many forces uh, from God, many ways in which God speaks to us, principally through the word, principally through spiritual disciplines, but the many unexpected ways in which God comes to us, interrupts us, stops us in our tracks, speaks to us through other people, speaks to us through our circumstances to keep us on the track and uh, to lead us into a growing relationship 
with his son in the community of faith. Mm, so good. That is so good. Yeah. So I mentioned earlier that Bruce came and talked at one of my doctoral residencies at Biola. And I think that Bruce, like you said, if you don't know where you're going, then you're not going to end up there or something like that. <laughs> and uh, yeah, <laughs> the great wisdom of Yogi Berra. But, uh, but I think that what you helped me to do specifically through uh, your book, Seasons of the Soul, and then another book, which um, you didn't write, but uh, has, I think, been influential for you and for me, uh, is a book by Janet Hagberg and Robert Gulich uh, called The Critical Journey, Stages yeah. in the Life of Faith. And uh, I think that what I would love for everybody to get out of this is just it's helpful to think about the spiritual life in these categories because it allows us to, or it gives us the tools to discern where we might be in the spiritual journey and, and also where we're going. I talk to people on a consistent basis. And uh, when I talk about some of these things, light bulbs go off because they're like, Oh, I didn't know that this is what was going on and this is why it was happening and this is where it's taking me. And so while we, we're going to walk through these stages of growth for you and Bruce is going to lead us through them, but, but I just want you to, to uh, think as we go and think about, hey, um, where, where am I on this journey? What is the Holy Spirit doing in my life? And just want to make some disclaimers before we get into these. And the, the first one is that these stages, it's going to sound, as we talk about it, it's going to sound like it's very clean, like, oh, stage one to stage two to stage three. And, but it's not, it's actually dynamic. Uh, like Bruce said a minute ago, it's fluid. And that means that sometimes you occupy one or more of these stages at the same time, or you can anyway. And there's, you know, movement some between them where it's like, oh, I still, the Lord's still doing this in my life, but I've matured over here. And, and so it's this dynamic movement. And then ultimately, as Bruce just alluded to, the stages uh, progress, we progress and mature, not as we try harder to do these Christian type things or this formulaic type Christianity, but we progress as we yield, as we surrender, as we cooperate with the one who is discipling us, and that is the Holy Spirit. So those are just a couple of the disclaimers. So this is going to sound really clean, but it's really not. not. <laughs> Doesn't work. But it's good. It's good to have these handles because yeah. it helps you figure out and it it can give some language to some maybe inner stuff that's going on that'll allow you to gain some clarity. So Bruce, why don't you take us uh, to stage one, which is the converted life, and start walking us through it. We've looked at uh, a number of uh, helpful models from scripture and a couple from uh, Christian history. But what I have found to be is uh, an insightful paradigm of the spiritual journey that is drawn from scripture and Christian history, and from life experience itself. We want to make clear that the journey is not strictly formulaic. It, it is progressive. It is fluid. We've mentioned that it's not linear, and that it involves starts and stops and transitions and digressions and advances. We can spend more time perhaps than we ought to in one particular stage and less time in another stage of the journey. 
So it, it's quite uh, amorphous, and yet it ought to be a progressive, upward-trending movement toward deepening relationship with God and greater conformity to the person of Christ. And the fact itself is that uh, if you're concerned about this notion of stages, that scripture endorses that uh, rather clearly in terms of Israel's journey into, uh, into e Egyptian bondage and then journey through the desert into the promised land. Mm. And so we read in Numbers chapter 33, uh, verses 1 through 2, this is the itinerary the Israelites followed as they marched out of Egypt under the leadership of Moses and Aaron. At the Lord's direction, Moses kept a written record of their progress. And these are the stages of their march, identified by the different places they stopped along the way. And in the NIV version, the word stages occurs three times in this scripture. So think of stages as phases or seasons mm -hmm. of our life that we can recognize as identifiable. And again, uh, we may not stay in the same place. We, we may occupy two uh, seasons at one time where different things are going on in our life. And we may spend too much time in one place and not enough time in another place. But let's take a look at this critical journey model uh, developed by uh, Janet Hagberg and Robert Gulick. Uh, the latter passed away prematurely a number of years ago. And uh, a few years back, I uh, teamed up with uh, Janet Hagberg to do various courses on this particular model, the critical journey model. But this model begins with the converted life. And this involves, of course, what we evangelicals are strong on, discovery of God through the new birth, repentance, faith, and uh, justification. Uh, we see this very plainly in Scripture, Saul of Tarsus and Lydia at Philippi. And those that um, write about spirituality in a broader way uh, tend to neglect or mute the need for conversion. Mm. So we make the statement that conversion to Christ through repentance from sin and faith in Christ, his person and his work, are, represent the absolute beginning and foundation of the spiritual journey. There can be no progress, no advance, no development whatsoever without a saving relationship with Jesus that launches the journey. So a lot of times, Bruce, I'll hear people talk about uh, conversion, and then they'll make a distinction between conversion, and then it's almost like this later, almost second conversion, not not in a charismatic type second baptism, but a second conversion that results in discipleship to Jesus. Mm -hmm. Whereas we would see this as no, actually conversion is entrance into the journey. Like this is the... If we're if we're likening it to Bunyan's work, this is the this is the part where Christian sets off on his journey. He's he's passed through the gate and is on his way to the celestial city. But but you have to start somewhere, right? And so is that what is that the way you view conversion? Is this entrance into the journey of discipleship? Um, absolutely, uh, it, it means uh, turning away from the old way of life, turning in faith to Christ and launching the journey. 
Uh, I would mention that uh, one spiritual authority in in Christian history is uh, Teresa of Avila in the uh, 17th century, and she likened the Christian life to a to a castle mm -hmm. with six or seven rooms. Mm -hmm. But she was particular in noting that the spiritual journey begins as you open the door and enter the castle yeah. to the journey. Yeah. Uh, so we must enter the gate, which is Jesus himself. Mm -hmm. Definitely, most certainly. And then to address another issue that sometimes happens and that, that is, I know it's been popularized, um, Bonhoeffer wrote about it as well, but the idea of cheap grace, this idea that people think that, oh, well, you can just be converted, but then kind of like sin away, my lad, you know, like doesn't, doesn't really matter what happens from then on. And sometimes people in our tradition, especially in evangelicalism, can overemphasize conversion to the point where it's like, hey, that's just it. Like, just confess your sins, just confess that Jesus is the Christ, and you're good. Like, that's it. And and uh, while, while I think we would say, I mean, conversion, obviously, like we've just said, is such a critical point. It's the birth. It's, it's your new birth. It's the regeneration by the Holy Spirit. It's actually just the first step in this long process of salvation. So definitely want to make that point about the fact that this is just the entrance in and not the whole thing by itself, which sometimes people in our tradition can, our overemphasis yes. of it can make it sound like that. It definitely is the beginning. I was struck uh, some time ago in looking at John Calvin's uh, development of the Christian life he, um, he mentioned that regeneration, of course, involves that initial step of faith and being born anew by the Spirit. But regeneration characterizes the entire Christian life mm. because we are being, in a sense, we are being made new throughout the course of our journey mm. on earth. Yep. That's good. Yeah, we're being made new. And then being made made new, and then being made new. <laughs> repeat, again repeat, again. repeat. Yeah, again and again. Yeah. Yeah. So it's this idea that to say like, oh, I'm saved now, and then 10 years later, I really started following Christ, so then I became a disciple. Like, that's yeah, the language that's, we're avoiding. That's bad theology. Like that, yeah. That's not right. Yep. But then there's also that, oh, well, now I'm saved. There's a next step. There's something to look past. Yeah. it's good. In the paradigm we're considering, then, the second stage is... Uh, called the learning or disciple life, where the new convert is grounded uh, in the basics of our faith, um, learning about scripture, learning um, about our faith, what we believe. But these paradigms of learning at this stage are often presented in packaged programs. For seven years, I was part of a of a spiritual formation group that was led by Alan Andrews, the former North American director of the Navigators, who made the point very clearly that canned approaches to spiritual formation have not worked. Mm. The way I see that is programmatic approaches to the Christian life are, are helpful at the early stages yeah. of yeah. our journey, becoming familiar with the basics of scripture uh, the basics of Christian uh, doctrine, uh, the basics of sharing our faith. Mm. But we are so different from one another that um, that programmatic approaches to the faith are not particularly helpful in the latter stages of the journey. Right. I remember one of my students was a, 
a campus crusade crew staff worker, and they you know, they reinforce the fact that that programmatic approaches are are helpful in the early stages, but then people are so different with so many different needs in their life, uh, emotional needs, spiritual needs, relational needs, that we need to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit mm. in bringing scripture and uh, Christian tradition and truth to bear on a person's journey. Yes, I like uh, Alan Andrews' uh, approach that canned approaches to spiritual formation have not worked, and that's why Alan Andrews uh, moved into the area of spiritual formation to fill out the gaps uh, that were lacking in our formational protocols. Yeah, there's a, the models that I know of that overemphasize the programmatic approach. They all plateau. It's not that they're necessarily a bad thing. There's nothing wrong with a program. I mean, unless you're teaching that like, you know, Jesus isn't God or something, but there's nothing wrong with the program. The problem is when you think that that specific program is all of discipleship and instead of just one season or one phase or one tool that God might use in the disciples life. So like around here, I mean, I think we have a really high evangelism ethos here. So the converted life is like going on at watermark, like all the time, which is awesome. I mean, we see so many people come to faith here. It's amazing. I mean, it's one story after the other. And a lot of times they're, you know, really crazy stories. Um, and, and then we do a really good job of moving people into the, the programs like equip disciple, um, like our recovery program, regeneration, like, uh, men's and women's Bible study, like our marriage enrichment ministry. These are programs that are designed to get people into uh, these spaces that a lot of times these guys have that, that people have never been in before. And so in to that end, they serve a really, really important purpose. However, if you just stay there constantly <laughs> and do this over and over and over and over, then I think that that becomes what Alan is critiquing and it's not that you get away from the basic disciplines of Bible study and prayer and meditation and solitude. And it's not that you get away from those things, but you do deepen. And so the initial things that you're learning in the learning life or the discipled life, disciples life are things that you're supposed to get from what the spirit is doing in your life, but then also mature deeper into different spaces. So talk to us about, I mean, obviously Alan made that critique that is a danger of this stage, but talk to us about what gets people stuck here. Why do some people get into the learning life and then struggle or spend, like you said earlier, too much time here? Well, I, I think people can get stuck here in living by rules, mm -hmm. that here are the, uh, the steps to Christian maturity, here are are the rules that I need to follow, and we can live a life of legalism at this stage, um, feeling that uh, success in the Christian life is just following a bunch of rules mm -hmm. that have been established for us. And of course, uh, Scripture plainly states that our life is a, is a life of faith, not a life of rules. Mm -hmm. There are other things that enter in here, such as pride, of uh, being content with them. Uh, with where we are, we've discovered this this relationship with God, and it's so new, and it's so dynamic, and it's so overwhelming that we can believe that this is the end of the journey. Mm -hmm. We can believe at this stage that uh, we have arrived, 
Mm. Uh, and, and this clearly is not the case. Yeah, I think that's where sometimes I see people who, because they've experienced a pretty substantial amount of initial transformation in their in this season of their life due to a program that they've been a part of, then their loyalty to that specific program becomes unquestioned. And so it becomes like a, let's say, for instance, I get into a Bible study with a group of guys. I'm a brand new believer. I go in, I start to learn like, whoa, this is amazing. And then I go somewhere else and someone had done uh, something else that had been transformative for them. It's easier for me in this stage to look at another method and say, well, you're doing it wrong. You've got to do this over here. You got to do the thing that, that changed me. And so sometimes there's these really weird us versus them mentalities where it's almost like uh, these subcultures of Christians compete with each other, which is really dysfunctional. But have you ever seen that before? Is that common? I have, and I've experienced that myself um, as a young Christian, having uh, having come into the new uh, life in Christ. Uh, I felt that, in a sense, I had arrived, and I should just explore out the implications of where I was as a as a newborn Christian. And I had little vision of what lie ahead. There was an entire world that lied ahead. Mm. And I had very little understanding or comprehension of that. And so I tended to uh, to dwell in the status quo, mm. content with uh, what I had experienced in this limited way. Yeah. So we're saying like, I'm, I'm sure we're just shattering people's realities right now as they're listening. They're, they're hearing this and they're thinking, man, I've been involved in this program for 10 years or 20 years, yeah. you name it. And they're going, wait a second, what are you saying? Like, all I know is that there is this program. And so if you're saying like, I can spiritually outgrow these clothes, like just to use an analogy, um, what is next? What, what should I be looking towards then? According to... Uh and this helpful model, it picks up on the next and third stage, which is called the productive life. And I remember as a young Christian, perhaps uh, an insensitive leader said, okay, now you've become a Christian. Now roll up the sleeves and get busy for God. <laughs> yeah, okay? right. To prove the validity of your faith, mm. show it by your performance, show it by your works. And so there was this emphasis placed on succeeding and demonstrating competence and manifesting positive outcomes. And actually, my performance had far advanced my internal world, my mm-hmm. internal relationship with God. It was, it was almost a disconnect between the work I was doing and my inner relationship with God. Yeah. And so the emphasis then was upon what was visible mm-hmm. on achievements and on accomplishments. And in my own life, there was an emphasis, I believe, on bolstering the ego, perhaps even working to earn God's favor. Mm-hmm. If I just work consistently enough and, and hard enough, diligently enough, perhaps God will be pleased with me. And so in these respects, uh, my life and ministry could have been driven by the old self where relationship with God and intimacy with Christ often was lacking. Mm -hmm. And so uh, clearly one had to move beyond this disconnect between what one was accomplishing 
and one's interrelationship with the Lord. Yeah, I remember I gave a talk on this stuff one time, and a woman came up to me afterwards and was pretty emotional about where she was in her own life and and uh, obviously paid attention. And, and she was like, I, I just think I'm right in the middle of the productive life. And I had realized that the way I had communicated about the productive life was almost all negative. And yet I think, you know, Hagberg and Gulick make a point that actually it's in the productive life that people begin to gain confidence in the gifts that God has given to them. And that in the productive life, they begin to exercise those things in good ways. They do begin to serve. They do begin to uh, contribute to kingdom type work. And yet, like you're talking about, it's very dangerous, and you can almost think that it's inevitable that people would get to the point where their exterior was outpacing their interior in in the productive life. Because a lot of times we're in environments where people are pressing in on us to do things a certain way, to place emphasis on ministry in certain ways to measure success in certain ways. And our interior life is not really able to sort through that and make sense of it to figure out what's healthy and what's not. And we just run at that pace that's not sustainable. Would you say that that's accurate or not? I think definitely. And I've seen this to be true in the uh, many students I've interacted with through the years. I remember in particular one student who served uh, in a church as a youth director said to me that I'm a production-driven person. I hate the ministry monster that has mastered me. Mm-hmm. We like the alliteration there, but uh, the thought was that uh, she was striving so hard, and in the process of her striving, she lost relationship with God, yeah. and that's tragic. Mm-hmm. People get stuck here. Because they view their life and their identity and their ministry, I mean, typically through, like the student just said, um, through the lens of performance. What It's it's almost like a, a Christianity where your God image is stuck in this what have you done for me lately mm-hmm. kind of mode. So a lot of times you'll hear language from people who are in the productive life where they're overemphasizing what they're doing for God. Sometimes uh, it's the people who really struggle to practice the discipline of secrecy. It's like, if anything that they can put out there as a positive outcome in a ministry activity, they, they want to put it out there so that they can be affirmed not only by you, but also affirm and try to convince themselves that they're good. And really at the heart of that, is a lack of identity. I mean, you, you're really just searching for who, who am I? Um, is this really what the spiritual life is all about? And and typically, I don't know about you, Bruce, but what I see people do is they get into the productive life and after they've spun that wheel for a while, they begin to burn out because like we've said, their exterior is outpacing their interior, which is not sustainable. But they have no concept of a higher end of the spiritual life. Like the the highest end of the spiritual life is what they can do for God. And so because they're starting to burn out, they realize like, oh, wait a second, I must have missed something. I've got to go back to stage two to learn some more stuff so that I can be more productive for God. Mm-hmm. Have you Have you seen that as well, Bruce? I, I've seen that and I've experienced that in my own yeah, life. Yeah, Roger that, but, me too. Uh, <laughs> 
And and exactly that. Um, it's like running an engine, a powerful engine, without uh, lubricating oil, mm. where the lubricating oil in the Christian life is the Holy Spirit. So we're working so hard that, that ultimately we, the danger is that we can literally burn out. Mm-hmm. Um, and this often leads to a, a life crisis. It might be um, many of these uh, demons that we have sheltered through the years, they come to light at this time. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can experience a life crisis. We can experience a painful life transition at this point. Uh, we can experience internal struggles, ego exhaustion, or often a dark night of the soul. Mm-hmm. And these things typically come in the middle of our journey, yeah. what psychologists would call a, a life transition. Not uh, They've changed the language of this, to be sure, but often this happens in the middle of the journey between the two halves of life. Mm-hmm. And so it's interesting, I came across a quote by Mother Teresa who said, it's not so much how much you do, but it's how much love you put into the doing, so that this disconnect between our exterior and our interior is uh, minimized or or obliterated. That's good. Well, we start to get this motivation of not only do we need to earn God's favor, but maybe God actually needs me to do this. Like, I'm being asked to step into this role and nobody else can fill it unless I step in. So we continue to step into things that maybe the Lord's not even calling us to, but God needs us. And it's only when we reach the point that we can verbalize and understand, no, we need God. That is when he steps in. And sometimes it is a crisis that takes us to that place. Yeah, it almost inevitably has to be. I mean, because ultimately what's happening, like Bruce said a second ago, is ego exhaustion. Yeah, we get I mean, to the it, end of ourselves. You totally do. Yeah. And, that's, and that, look, our, our our ego does not die easily. You know? <laughs> so there's a, there is an increased tension that the Lord brings into our lives to show us that we're not God. And I know that that sounds really, <laughs> like basic no, but so that's not we we relinquish that uh that's a that's a pretty yeah. deep fight that well, we put up in those spaces man it takes me back to a place even um it was like four or five years ago and i was in this space where i'm like stepping into every single role that i can and i was getting exhausted and i remember having a conversation with my dad and i looked at him and i said i can't do this all and he looked at me and he said you're right you can't and to hear that mm-hmm. from a father was just so encouraging because it's like, oh, you're yeah. right. I don't have to. Yeah. And that's really what a lot of the productive life shows us is in our working, we realize we're not God. Mm. And and the savior complex that we have that is so common um, in all of our hearts is starting to come to the surface. I know, Bruce, a second ago, you called it, you know, some of these demons begin to emerge where you begin to realize like, oh, for so long I've been doing these things, but I've been doing them because of this deeper motivation that I'm just now realizing. And that's part of the, that's part of the journey. That's part of those um, seasons where the Lord is like, mm-hmm. okay, I'm going to lead you through this and it's going to be painful, but I'm yeah. going to be with you. This yeah. hasn't been fueled by love. So yep. what does it look like yeah, to right. be fueled by that? Yes. Yeah. And so spiritual authorities often describe this experience that we've been talking about, uh, about burning out, uh, exhaustion, 
uh, weariness, a darkness. They often describe it as a hitting the wall type of experience. We hit the wall. Yeah. Well, there's probably quite a few of our listeners right now that are listening in on this going, man, this is all really encouraging. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, so, by, in order to uh, tempt you to listen to the other part of this, we're going to uh, shut this one down for now. So, <laughs> You're welcome. So uh, good luck with all that. <laughs> but uh, we, okay. we would encourage you to uh, we'd encourage you to listen up next week because what's crazy is we're only halfway through. So there, there's a lot of good news ahead. We hope you enjoyed our conversation with Bruce. We're going to finish our conversation with him next week. But if you like what you're hearing, then subscribe, tell your friends about it. You can also email us at equippingpodcast at watermark.org with questions or comments. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, you guys have a great week. Bye. Peace. <laughs>